on a Wednesday night, so many of us are just busy throughout the week, and uh, and there's so many things going on that could distract us, that could take uh, away our ability to listen to your word, Lord, and I just ask that you would please help us to just be in the moment, and as we look at your Bible, and we look at your word, that we would be challenged, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me and just help me to uh, be able to teach this Bible study tonight. In your precious name I pray, amen. amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter number 10, and uh, we've gone through the first nine chapters of Exodus, and we've gone through the first seven plagues that God has brought on Egypt. And in this chapter, chapter number 10, we are going to see plagues number 8 and 9, the the two plagues before the, the last plague. And really, as we go through Exodus chapter 10, we continue to see how it is that God deals with uh, Pharaoh and God's dealing with his heart and what God's doing there. And I just have three uh, quick points. I don't need to take too long tonight, but, you know, I say that every time. But uh, three points uh, about Pharaoh and a few things we learn about Pharaoh. And if you're there in Exodus chapter 10, look, look down at verse number 1. And the Bible says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go... And we'll hold them still. I'm reading the wrong chapter. Good night. I'm reading chapter 9. Chapter 10. That's where you want to be. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh. I started thinking, It sounds like last week's sermon. I know. <laughs> and the Lord said unto uh, Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, For I have hardened his heart, And the heart of his servants, That I may show these my signs before me. Look at verse 2. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy sons, And of thy sons' sons, What things I have wrought in Egypt, And my signs which I have done among them, That ye may know how that I am the Lord. Now, verse 3 is a very interesting, verse. Verse 3 says, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. Now, Moses is speaking to, keep in mind, Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at this time. I mean, it would be like speaking to the President of the United States, except the difference is that Pharaoh is not bound by a constitution. Pharaoh could have Moses put to death. And in fact, we'll, we'll get to that later on in the chapter. But he's speaking to the most powerful man on earth that's not bound by any laws. This, this man could do anything to him. And he's telling, them, he's telling Pharaoh exactly what it is that God wants Pharaoh to hear. And if you notice, he says there, verse 3, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. And notice what he says. He says, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? And in that one question, God pinpoints for us exactly the problem and the predicament that Pharaoh is in. And the reason that we've gone, that, that we've gone through seven plagues, and we're going to go through two more in this chapter, and, and one more in the next few chapters that are going to bring uh, Pharaoh down to his knees, is because of that one question. God tells us exactly what, what's wrong with Pharaoh, and the question is this, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me, let my people go that they may serve me? Point number one tonight, I'd like you to notice about Pharaoh, is Pharaoh's pride. Pharaoh's pride. God says, how long? He says, how, what's it going to take, Pharaoh? What am I going to have 
have to do before you humble yourself before me because you just refuse to do so. Let me tell you something. I believe that one of the main, and we don't preach on it as much as we should or, or really deal with it as much as we should, but I believe that one of the biggest problems we have as Christians and one of the biggest just problems that human beings have with God is wrapped up in this one word, pride. God says to Pharaoh, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself? Let me tell you something. Uh, actually, you know, keep your finger there in Exodus 10. Obviously, we're coming back to it. But go over to Proverbs, chapter number 16. Uh, Proverbs, right after the book of Psalms there. Proverbs, chapter 16. And look at verse number 18. Proverbs 16, 18. God says that Pharaoh refuses to humble himself. And in Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 18, we find the problem with pride. You say, well, what's, what's wrong with being uh, filled with pride? Well, the, the problem with pride is this, is this. If you're there in Proverbs 16, look at verse number 18. Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction. Let me read that again. Pride goeth before destruction. And that's the truth with Pharaoh. Pharaoh nation and land and himself is being destroyed here and, and before we're done with the story Pharaoh will find himself uh, in a watery grave and it's because of this one word pride the Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall the Bible says every time someone is because here's what you can understand God's relationship with pride is this someone who is filled with pride God automatically wants to destroy and the Bible says, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You're there in Proverbs 16. Look at Proverbs 18, just a couple chapters afterwards. Proverbs 18, look at verse number 12. Proverbs 18, 12, 12 the Bible says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. That word haughty there is in reference to being proud again. And he says, before destruction, the heart of man is, is uh, haughty. And before honor is humility. So I want you to understand, there's a relationship here. God says, when you're proud, I want to destroy you. When you're proud, I want to bring you down. But when you're humble, He says, I want to honor you. And the Bible says there, look at verse 12 again, before destruction, uh, the heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. So He says, you want to be honored, before you can be honored, He said, you've got to master this one word, humility. Go with me to the New Testament, to James, chapter number 4. James chapter number 4, it's after the book of Hebrews, in your New Testament, James chapter number 4, let me show you this in a little more detail, James chapter number 4, and look at verse number 6, after the book of Hebrews, in your New Testament, James chapter number 4, if you get to 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, you went too far, okay, James chapter number 4, look at verse number 6, James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, Look what the Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You see how the Bible is very consistent throughout all Scripture? Throughout the whole Scripture, God says, You're proud, I don't like that. 
I don't like that attitude. He said, I'll resist you. He said, he said I'll destroy you. He, he said, I'll, I'll abase you. In other passages, he tells us that. And the Bible says, uh, uh, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Look, uh, uh, you're there in, in James chapter 4. Look at verse number 10. James chapter 4. And look at verse number 10. The Bible later on says, in the same passages, pa- pas- pa- uh, passage, <laughs> He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You see that? See, so often we want to be lifted up, but God says, here's the one-way ticket to lift you up. He said, if you humble yourself, if you bring yourself down, He says, I will lift you up. But He said, if you're proud, He said, I will resist you. And I don't know about you, but that's the opposite end of the relationship that I want to be in with God. I don't want God resisting me. I want God lifting me up. And God says, I resist you when you're proud. He says, I lift you when you're humble. And God said to Pharaoh, how long refuse thee to humble thyself? You're there in James, go to 1 Peter. It's a, the very next book right after that. 1 Peter chapter number 5. Look at verse number 6. As we just do a real quick study on the subject of this word humble and pride. 1 Peter, right after the book of James there, chapter number 5 and verse 6, look what the Bible says. The Bible says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Notice what it says. That He may exalt you in due time. Do you see how consistent the Bible is? Just all throughout the Scriptures is the same thing. Pride, I'll resist you. Pride, I'll destroy you. Pride, I'll make you fall. Humble, I'll lift you up. Humble, I'll I'll raise you. Humble, I'll help you. Humble, I'm for you. Humble, I'll give you grace. And there the Bible tells us, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Now here's something I learned, uh, uh, or something I don't don't know that I necessarily uh, knew, or or maybe I knew it, but I I, I didn't see it very clearly until I was studying for this specific Bible study. And here's this. As I studied the word humble in the Scripture, I started noticing the context. Because see, when we study the Bible, we can't just take a verse out of context and make a whole doctrine out of it. That's how you end up with false religion. So... We study scriptures in their context, the verses around it and what it's saying. It's, and I found something very interesting because verse 6 is, a very, is a great, one of the greatest uh, verses on the subject of being humble in the Bible there. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Verse number 7 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And I never quite connected the fact that verse number 7 is in the same context that verse number 6. Look what verse number 7 says in, there in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. The Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. See, and and here's what we got to understand. God tells us in verse 6, He says, I want you to be humble. He says, if if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He said, I'll exalt you in due time. But in verse number 7, God explains to us, here's what humble looks like. He says, here's, you, you want to be humble? Here's what it looks like. Verse 7, right after verse 6, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. See, what we need to understand as Christians is sometimes we get this idea that as long as we're not a show-off, you know, that's what we think of pride, you know. Oh, look at me, look at, you know, my car, look at the things I have. And, under, and obviously we understand that that falls under pride. But let me tell you something, pride, the word pride is this, just thinking constantly about yourself, about me, about who I am. Actually, you know, it's funny, I, I, I'm amazed how... The Holy Spirit works things like this out. 
I wrote this sermon. I got all the notes written. And I, I really hope... Brother Vincent, I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. Do you mind if I use you as an example, brother? <laughs> if you do, just uh, send, send an email to veritybaptist.org. <laughs> no, but, you know, uh, Brother Vincent was, uh, came to church a little early to help, help us with a few things. And, and he, was, he was talking uh, to me. And, and as he's talking, I'm thinking to myself, man, that, that's, that's exactly uh, what I want to say tonight. And I, and I don't know that I could have found the words to say, but Brother Vincent was... Uh, talking to me about uh, yesterday, and, and I really hope you don't mind me using it as an example, brother, but yesterday was the anniversary of Brother Vincent's uh, daughter, who had passed away five years ago. And he was explaining to me how in the past, this day for their entire family was a big, tough deal. And they would generally drink a lot, and, and, and cry a lot, and, and be very destructive. And he explains to me how yesterday was completely different. Most of them didn't even go to the cemetery, and, and, and they just had a good time, and they talked to each other, and encouraged each other, but they went on with life. And this was a statement that he made to me. He said, I, I have God now. And you know what, I'd like you to understand something. You say, well, 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 what does that mean? And what are you trying to say, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. Oftentimes, this is what pride is. When you and I sit there and complain and, and get mad about things that happen. Because that's what God says. Look at verse 6. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. And then the context is this. Casting your care upon Him. And I've got to ask a question. What does that have to do with being humble, God? Casting your care upon Him. But here's what I realize. Here's what it means. Oftentimes, you know, and I don't think any of us would, would look down on somebody who lost a, a child. Obviously, we never would. But often we go through things, and we go through stuff in life, and when we have this attitude of, I don't deserve this, that's pride, my friend. When we have the attitude of, I can't believe God did this to me, or I can't believe God's putting me through this, or I can't believe, you know, why, is, you know, why didn't somebody else go through that? Someone else should have dealt with that, or, and, and I, I didn't do anything to deserve it. That's pride, here's why. Because you are the focus of your attention. But here's where humbleness walks in. When a man says, I used to think, why is this happening? And, and, I have a, and I, every year we threw a pity party, and we're mad, and we're upset. What did God do? And then he says, but now I have God. You know what that means? There's humbleness there that says, hey, casting all my care upon Him, for He careth for you. See, that's, that's humbleness. That's being humble when you say, when, when you say like Job. Remember when Job lost his, all his children? When Job lost all his finances? When even his wife turned on him and said, curse God and die. And what did he say? He said, naked came I into, uh, naked came I into the world and naked shall I do. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what Job was saying? Job was saying, I came with nothing. Everything I have God gave to me. And if God chooses to take it all away, hey, I'll just cast my cares upon him. For he careth for me. I, I, I often think of, uh, go, go, just real quickly, go be to John. John chapter 3. I often think of this, uh, of this, uh, of this story of John the Baptist, John chapter number three. The, par- the, the Pharisees and the Jews come to John. They're trying to, they're trying to cause problems. And in John three twenty six, they come to John, and, and they say, if you look at John three twenty six, it says, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, talking about Jesus. 
to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes. Look what, look what they said to John. And all men come to him. You see that? See, at this point, John was the preacher of the day. He was baptizing everybody. He had thousands. The Bible says all of Judea came out unto him. Everyone came to hear him preach. Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is introduced in his ministry by John the Baptist. John says about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He introduces him, and then here's what happens. All of John's church leaves John and goes to follow Jesus. And the Pharisees come and say, John... You know, remember that Jesus? The guy you bear witness to? He said, everybody's following him now. And they're not following you. You used to be the big church in town. Now Jesus is the big church in town. And they left you, and they're trying to cause him. And here's what you and I often would have said. Yeah, you know, that's true. I don't deserve that. I'm the one that told him about Jesus. But what was John's response? Look at verse 30. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see that? See, pride is not just, look at my shoes, or look at my eyes clothes, or look at my... Pride is this. I, Pharaoh, don't deserve to have to lose the Egyptians, or don't deserve for God to do this, or God to do that. And God just says, Pharaoh, if you would humble yourself, I would quit resisting you. And he says, he says I won't, I refuse to humble myself. And oftentimes, according to verse Peter, it's seen in this. You say, well, how do, how do I see a humbleness? You see it in this, casting all my care upon Him. Because that, that attitude says, God, you're in control. God, you know what you're doing. See, when John said, I must, He must increase, but I must decrease, he said, it doesn't matter if He took all my church people and my church is a failure now. He says, God's in control. When John said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I return, the Lord liveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was, this is what he was saying. God's in control. God knows what He's doing. Everything's filtered through God. And that is the opposite of pride. We see Pharaoh's pride, and let me tell you something. Pride always leads to destruction. I think about a few months ago, or maybe it's, I don't even know how long it's been now. It may have been a year when my good friend, one of our good friends, Pastor Mark Lewis, when his wife passed away just recently. I mean, just within a year. I remember just a few months after, uh, after that, I, I, I called him, and, and he would often say this. I mean, you would always, you'd ask him this question, he'd always answer the same way. But I was impressed that he would under, answer this way under the circumstances. And I called him and I said, how are you doing, Pastor Mark? And this is what he answered. And he would always say that. He would always say this. But just shortly after his wife died, he still said it, and I was impressed. He said, I'm doing better than I deserve. And, and for those of you who know Pastor Mark, you know that's what he, you always ask him, how you doing? He always says, better than I deserve. But after his wife died, you'd think he'd say, I'm okay, or, or, or I'm struggling. Or, but he, but he, just, he just, better than I deserve. And you know, you think about that. You, you know, I, I, proud people fight for their rights. Proud people fight, well, well I, I shouldn't have to do that. And I shouldn't be put through that. And God should know, you know. But here's the thing. If, 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 if a humble person realized what exactly you deserve, you know, I remember when he said that to me, I thought to myself, you know, the, the honest truth is this. Every single, if we, all, if we got what we deserve, we'd all be burning in hell right now. We'd all spend eternity in hell right now. We spend every day and night in agony and pain being tortured in hell. Because that's really what we deserve. But when God says, hey, you're, I'm always in 
And Pharaoh's pride, you're, you say, well, why are you preaching this? Because here's the thing. Pride, the Bible doesn't lie. Pride always leads to destruction. You see it in Pharaoh's life. You see it in Nebuchadnezzar's life. You see it in every Bible character. Pride always leads to destruction. A haughty spirit always leads to a fall. And if you say, well, I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want God resisting me. I want God to lift. God says this, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And He will lift you up in due time. We see Pharaoh's pride. Go back to Exodus chapter number 10. Say, why, why is it that God is destroying Egypt? And why is it that God is doing all these things to Pharaoh? Why is it that Pharaoh can't cut a break? And it just seems like every time he turns around, something bad is happening. It's wrapped up in this one word, pride. Pride. And let me tell you something. We, we need to preach way more on pride because pride is something every single one of us deals with. And the sad part is that some of you are sitting in your chairs right now saying, I'm not proud, and the statement you're making is a pride-filled statement. <laughs> some of you are saying, I'm humble, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> you're not humble <laughs> if you have that attitude. We all deal with pride. It's human nature. I said, number one, we saw Pharaoh's pride. Number two, I'd like you to see Pharaoh's price. Pharaoh's price. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, If thou refuse to let my people go, behold... Tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. And they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which has escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail. And shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. Let me just ask something real quick. Is everybody, is everybody comfortable? Anybody hot? Everybody's kind of shaking. Top. Let's turn the AC on here if you don't mind. No, nobody was hot. I'm hot. <laughs> hot back there? Okay. By the mouth of two witnesses. So there you go. Verse 6. And they shall, look at verse 6. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out of Pharaoh. I think it's very interesting that he, he's no longer waiting for Pharaoh's response. He just says, God's going to do this, and he just turns around and leaves. He's like, I don't even care what you think about it, Pharaoh. Look at verse 7. And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds, will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. So Pharaoh brings Moses back, asks a very specific question. He says, okay, listen, if you've got to go, serve God. He says, who's going to go? And he says, well, all of us are going to go. He said, I'm going to go with my sons and with my daughters, with, the, with everybody. Fathers, mothers, all our herds, all our flocks. And look at verse number 10. And he, talking about Pharaoh, said unto them, Moses and Aaron, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go. And your little ones, look to it, for evil is before you. Not so, go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So I want you to understand what's going on. Pharaoh, this is what Pharaoh says. You know what? He says, he says you know what, Moses and Aaron? Why don't you and Aaron and the men Go. But your children, not so. 
He says, evil is before you. Now here's what you understand. We've already seen Pharaoh in past chapters. Remember he was negotiating? He was saying, well, I'll give you this and, and I'll give you that and, and we can do this. And Remember he said, go but don't go very far. And now we find Pharaoh negotiating again. We find Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a price. Let me tell you something. Pharaoh, you say, what, what is, who does Pharaoh represent? Pharaoh represents the world. Egypt represents the world. Egypt represents the, the spiritual wickedness in high places. And Pharaoh and the world, they always have a price. They always want to negotiate. And in this case, he says, you know what, Moses? Fine. Go serve God. You and the man. He said, ye did desire. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you're the ones who want to serve God anyway. Your kids don't want to serve God. He said, you go and leave the kids. Now look at verse, uh, well actually no, I, I, wanna, I want you to go with me to Psalm, Psalm 137. And we can learn a little bit about Pharaoh and about Egypt. You're there in Psalm 137? Psalm 137? If you just open up your Bible and just smack down in the middle, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And then you've got Psalm 137. See, Pharaoh's price, Pharaoh begins to negotiate. Pharaoh begins to bargain, and he puts two things up. And the first thing he says, you serve God, here's what he says, believe your children. And let me tell you something, that is the attack of the devil today. The attack of the world today is this, you serve God, believe your children. Here's what the contemporary neo-churches say today, you come to the traditional service, adults, you come to that service, we'll use that old King James Bible, and we'll send those old in. But why don't you let your kids go down to the youth club, and where they have the lights turned off, and it's like a club in there, and we'll play the rock and roll. You know what they're saying? You know what they're saying? You serve God, but not your kids. You serve God, but leave your kids in the world. Leave your kids in, 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 in Egypt. And let me tell you something. Our world today looks at children as a burden. Our world today looks at children as some sort of a hassle. You know, you, you tell people, you, you're having a kid, or I often, you know, just in my work, I meet a lot of people, and, and, and sometimes people ask me, oh, are you married? Do you have kids? And I'll say, yeah, I've got the third on the way. And they're like, oh, so much work. And I'm telling you, kids are a lot of work. But our world today has this mentality where it's just like, like, man, kids, that's the worst thing in the world. Put those things in daycare somewhere and pick them up when they're 18 so you can send them off to college. You know, and, and the, Bible, the attitude the Bible has is extremely different. Look at you there in Psalm 137. Look at verse number 3. Psalm 137.3. That's not the verse I wanted. Psalm 137.3. Good night. Children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. That's the verse I wanted. I don't know where it's at, though. I can't think of the reference right now. I'll just quote it to you. Hmm. That stinks. Well, anyway, the Bible says that children are in heritage of the Lord. And here's what I was thinking about. That word heritage, if you can find that, it's in the mother-baby room. It's on a little plaque. <laughs> if, you, if you can find that verse, uh, that, that word heritage, here's what, I, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says this. Children are in heritage of the Lord. And I started thinking about that verse. The word heritage, here's what the word heritage means. A legacy. You know what the Bible says about children? See, here's the thing. I, I start Verity Baptist Church, right? I go out and get people saved. And I bring them, we bring them to church. We teach them the Bible. 
We get them soul winning. We get them praying. We get them reading the Bible. We get them getting right with God. We preach at them and we rebuke them when they need to be rebuked. And we encourage them when they need to be encouraged. And we challenge them when they need to be challenged. And here's what happens. You live for God. And you living for God is like, ah, it's like halfway. Because as an adult, you're not going to take everything I say and just run with it. But you know who will? My children. You know I can just make these radical, extremist, sold-out, just soul-winning machines? My kids. Because they won't know any better. See, they're not going to have any of their little hang-ups like you and I have. Or their baggage like you and I have. Or our, you know, pride issues like you and I have. And the Bible says children are in. You know what I fully expect? And, and you should be happy about this too, is that when I get to heaven, I hope, I hope that God gives me uh, uh, rewards in heaven, and treasures in heaven, and crowns in heaven, because I got you saved, and because I did this work, and because, because we served, you know, my family, my wife and I, because we served you. But you know what I, I expect most of my rewards to come from? My children. Because I can influence you, and preach to you, and I'll teach you how to go sewing, but you won't go sewing like I tell you to go sewing. You'll do it like you want to do it. <laughs> and it'll be okay. Praise the Lord for it. But my kids, man, I trained them from four years old and they'll be doing it exactly the way the Bible says. Okay, they get hundreds of people saved. They'll, they'll live exactly. And see, that's what the Bible says. Children are an answer to the Lord. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Children are an opportunity. Children are an investment. Children are a gift that God has given us. But here's the thing. Today, our world says, I don't want kids. I can't wait till they're out of the house. Or I can't wait till they uh, do this. Or I, I just wait. You know, just put them in front of the television. Put them in front of the Game Boy. Put them in front of the video game. Just leave me alone. Don't talk to me until you're 18. Just go in. And we waste it. But here's the problem. You don't want your kids, but you know who does? Pharaoh. You don't want to spend time with your kids, but you know who does? Pharaoh. You want to ignore your kids, but you know who does? The drug dealer down the road. And, and, the, and, the, and the boy and the girl that wants to defile them at the public school. And, and country's in the state it's in. That's why America's in the state it's in. He negotiates for your children. He wants to take your kids. He wants to defy your kids. He wants to make your kids live for Him. And Pharaoh says, Moses, go serve God. Go serve God. You, you and the man, go. Just leave your kids. Leave them here. Not only that, go back to Exodus chapter 10. Pharaoh negotiates for your children. Not only that, but look at what else he negotiates for. Look at uh, verse number 12. Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested in all the coast of Egypt. 
very grievous were they. Before them uh, there was no such locust as they, neither after them shall be such. And they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses. So I, I love it. Moses, Pharaoh says to Moses, leave your kids. Moses' response is this, tap this plague. <laughs> he says, I'll keep my kids, you can have this plague. And then in verse 16, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong wind, which took away the locusts, and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. I can't imagine how that would feel to have a darkness that you can feel. But that's what the Bible says. A thick darkness that they could feel. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So, to uh, add insult to injury, they had a, a darkness that could, not, that could be felt, but the children of Israel in Gershon had light. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, look what he says, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be saved, let your little ones also go with you. So notice he's negotiating. He said, Okay, Pharaoh, oh, okay, Moses, take your kids. Fine. But he said, But do me a favor, leave your flocks, leave your herds. He said, Well, what, what does that mean? Well, you gotta understand, in Bible times, people's riches, people's wealth, the money they had was wrapped up in their cattle. That's how they did business back in those days. So this is what this is what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says, "Go serve God, but leave your children." Moses says, "Have this plague." <laughs> what do you think about that? that? Here's what I propose. And then Pharaoh says, "Okay, come back. Let's come back to the negotiating table." He says, "Go serve God. Take your kids." But he says, "Leave your riches." And let me explain something to you. Go go over to Matthew chapter number six. Matthew. Chapter number 6. God, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but God has chosen to use money, riches, as a test of our hearts. Look at what the Bible says. Matthew chapter number 6. Look at verse number 19. Matthew 6.19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor, nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Notice verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see that? God has chosen to use money, to use treasure, as a test for our hearts. And God says, don't lay up for, your tre- for yourself treasures upon the earth. He says, thieves will get to it. He says, it moth doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. And then he makes this very famous statement, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
you know, God and go serve Him and take your kids and take your wives, but leave your treasure. You know, why, why, why was He saying leave your treasure? Leave your finance? Because Pharaoh understood this one thing. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And He says, leave your treasure in Egypt. Leave your treasure in the world. And you leave your treasure here, and I'll have your heart. Let me tell you something. I am not against people being rich. And neither is the Bible. People have this mentality that the Bible is anti-money. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. We we ought not love money. We ought not, you know, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. That's what the Bible says. You ought not will to be rich. That that word will means the, the, the purpose of your life. You ought not wake up every day and think to yourself, I'm going to make myself rich. That ought not be the purpose of your life. But God's not anti-people being rich. I think that's something we like to just, you know, pretend is in the Bible. Because we're all broke, so we want to try to pretend like, because I'm broke, I'm spiritual. (laughs) Study the people in the Bible. Study the great men of God in the Bible. Abraham was not a poor man. Isaac was a very wealthy man. Jacob was a very wealthy... You say, well, yeah, Jacob's uh, uh, grandfather was Abraham, so of course he was rich. He was born into it. Study the Bible. Jacob earned every penny he had on his own. And he became a very wealthy man. Moses was not lacking financially. People in the Bible, you know, people in the Bible had money. I'm not against you having money. Go work hard and make money. The Bible gives you many promises. You work hard. God says that the hand of the diligent maketh rich. But let me tell you something. You ought to be very careful when it comes to loving money and loving treasures and having money be the the, the purpose in your life and the only thing you're chasing. Look, there's more important things in life than money. And God says, in fact, He says that the way you handle money tells me exactly how your heart is. You know, that's something we don't talk about a lot at Verity Baptist Church just because I don't really care about the subject too much. But it's in the Bible and there's nothing wrong with talking about it. You know, money and finances, you know, tithing and, and giving offerings to God shows the place of your heart. People often say, they say, well, I can't, I can't tithe. Because I don't have enough money. And here's what I always think to myself. Anyway, so, tithing is a percentage. God is not like the United States corrupt government, where when you make more money, you have to pay more. And when, you make, and when you're lazy and make no money, you get money back. That's not God. Okay, God is a capitalist. God is, it's, 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 he calls it a fair tax. You know, that's what, that's what it is. Tithe is a percentage. And here's what I always think is funny. People say, I can't tithe because I don't make enough money. And I think to myself, if you can't tithe when you don't make any money now, you won't be able to tithe when you make a lot of money. Because it's a percentage. You understand what I'm saying? You only give 10%. So if you only make $100, you only have to give $10. That's it. But you say, well, I only made $100, so I can't give $10. Well, let me tell you something. With that attitude, when you make $1,000, you won't be able to give $100. Because the, 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 the per- it's not about the money. It's about your heart. It's not about the money. It's about where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's the issue. The, the issue is not... See, God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants obedience. That's what He's looking for. And you know, the, the uh, tithing is something that we can all obey because it's a percentage. And you know what the unfortunate thing is in life? That so often in life, many 
take advantage while few do the work. And it's the same thing with finances, the same thing with anything. Same thing with soul winning. Everybody wants the church to grow. Everybody's excited when they want a visitor, but only a few people go out and try to get the visitor. <laughs> only a few people go out and try to, you know, get... And it's the same thing. You know, everybody, everybody likes the donuts. Everybody likes the church activity. Everybody wants to go to the, the ladies' activity where they have all their, you know, I don't know what they do, but all their gossiping and... No, I'm just saying. But where they have all that free food and everything. Everybody wants to grab a free CD. It doesn't cost you anything. You know, just because it doesn't cost you anything doesn't mean it can cost something to make it. But see, so many of us enjoy church, the activities, and this and that, and everything's free. But then just a few of us just carry the burden. Financially. But see, God didn't decide it that way. God said we're a body. God, see, if we would all come together and we would all do our part, we'd say, well, Pastor, you want me to give bills? No, you just need to, I don't want you to give anything. I don't need to give a I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But you don't have to give a lot. You just have to give your part. Your 10%. Your ten dollars. And see, here's the thing. Here's what you guys say. Here's what I try to explain to people all the time. And, and they just don't get it. And I, I feel bad for them because I think if you would get this, I, I think it would revolutionize your life. Study the parable of the talents. God's principle is this. When I give you a little bit, and I see that I can trust you with a little bit, I'll give you more. And when I can trust you with more, I'll give you more. The parable of the talents, he took away from the one who had one, and he gave it to the one who had ten. He's like, that's not fair. You know, Barack Obama, that's not fair. Socialism. Why would you give to the one who had ten? He only had one. But God says, I can trust him. He said, I'll take it from that guy and give it to this guy. And you know, I've grown up in church my entire life, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, and I, if, if I do, you know, walk into the club. I do it every week. But this is what I've, I've noticed in church my entire life. People who don't tithe struggle financially. And it's like, why would God bless you financially when He can't trust you financially? And people who tithe, they're not rich, they're not rich, but it seems like they always are okay. And, and you say, well, why is that? Hmm, I think it's because God promised that if you stole, you robbed this tithe, He'd curse you with a curse. Malachi chapter 3. See, but here's the thing. You say, Pastor, here's why my money. Look, your money perish with you. I could care less about your money. You keep your $3, you know, you make 30 bucks this week or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But let me tell you something. You want God's blessing in your life? You want God to help you? You want Him? He wants to know where your heart is. And for whatever reason, God decided where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. Amen. He says, I can see where your treasure is, where your heart is, based on how you deal with your treasure. And Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And some of us say, we're going to say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but we don't want to obey His commandments. If you just trust God and say, well, God, you know what, there's been so many times, I, I, I could tell you so many stories, my wife could have tested so many times where we had no idea how we were going to pay our bills, but you know what, we paid our tithe and God saw us through it. Amen. And I'm still alive. Maybe we had a whole lot of rice and beans that week, but God took care of it. The Bible says... That God, you know, in, in the book of Psalms, David say, said that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or my seed give, uh, begging bread. Amen. And sometimes people like to say, see, the, the righteous, and they'll refer that to Christians. And they'll say, Christians will never bake bread. Let me tell you something. Christians will bake bread. Because that word righteous there is not talking about your salvation. The word righteous there is talking about someone who's right with God. And someone who's right with God, I promise you, will never bake bread. Someone will always be there to take care of you. Someone will always be there to help you. 
Someone will always be there to, to, to encourage you. You'll get that check in the mail that you didn't realize was coming or that you know, money or whatever. God works it out in different ways. But God always tests you. God is constantly testing us. And one of the tests He uses is our treasure. And it's not a coincidence that Pharaoh went to uh, Moses and said, Take your family, take your children, serve God, but leave your treasures. Because he said, if I can keep your treasure, I can keep your heart. And if I can keep your heart in Egypt, if I can keep your treasure in Egypt, I can keep your heart in Egypt. Go back to Exodus chapter 10. We're, we're almost done. Exodus chapter number 10. I said number one, we see Pharaoh's pride. Number two, we see Pharaoh's price. Number three, I'd like you to see, we see Pharaoh's problem. Look at verse number 27. Well, actually, look at, uh, look at uh, Moses' response. If you look at verse 24, And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us, us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For therefore must we take, uh, so, uh, take to serve the Lord our God, and, and we know not what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. And, and I like that because here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can't, I gotta take all my money with me because I don't know how much God is gonna ask me for. He just has this attitude like, I wanna have everything available to give to God. Verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day thou seest my face, look what he says, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Now here's what I want you to understand. We saw the, last, the eighth and ninth plague. The last plague, the tenth plague, that's the big plague. That's the plague that finally breaks Pharaoh. And I want you to understand something. I personally don't think that God set out to have ten plagues. I personally think that God set out to have as many plagues as He needed to have to break Pharaoh's heart. Have you noticed that Pharaoh's getting closer and closer to serving God every day? At first he's like, go serve God, but don't go three days journey. Stay close. Stay in Egypt. Then he says, go, go serve God, but only the men, not the children. Then he says, okay, go serve God wherever you want. Go, not just the men, the, the children as well, but leave, leave your cattle. See, he's getting closer to that point. And I think God would have gave as many plagues as Pharaoh needed until verse 28. Because here's what happened. Pharaoh's pride and Pharaoh's price got the better of him. Pharaoh's pride where he was not willing to give in to God and not willing to humble himself. And he said, Moses, the preacher, I don't care what you say, I don't care what you preach, I'm not going to change my heart, I'm not going to change my mind. And he said, I'm going to keep negotiating, I'm going to keep giving my price, I'm only going to do what I want to do, I'm not going to submit fully to God, I'm going to submit to the point that I want to submit. And Pharaoh, he's the one who ended the relationship with Moses. Did you catch that? Notice that Moses never got to a place where he says, Pharaoh, I'm done with you. We're going to kill your son. Moses is just like, okay, Pharaoh. And you can see him getting upset. He's just like, plague, whatever. Let me get out of the city. I'll lift up my hands. You know, he's getting upset about it. But verse 28, 
And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Let me tell you something, be very careful in your life to put God, to try to corner God, to try to put God between a rock and a hard place, because who's going to end up paying for it is you. Pharaoh's problem was not as much his pride, although it was his pride, was not as much his price, although it was his price, it was the fact that he stopped God from being able to work in him. You want me to tell you when the tenth plague comes in your life? Let me just tell it to you right now. See, when you come to church, and you're mad at the preacher every service, I can't believe he said that to me. He's freaking mad at me. Maybe that's just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I can't, you know, that's, that's bad, that's pride, that's arrogance, but you know what? At least... We still have a chance. Because maybe the Holy Spirit of God, and maybe the Word of God, you know, maybe when, when, you're, when you're mad and you're upset, but you're saying, I'm still going to read my Bible, you still got a chance. But when you put God in a position where you say, I will no longer hear Moses, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. I know my ear. Then God says, okay, Pharaoh, I'm going to have to cross that line now. And I'm going to have to give you that plague that I know will break you. Because see, every other plague before that, was meant to get his attention. But God, remember, God hardened his heart. But God knew exactly what he needed to do to break him. And God only chose to do that, listen to me, when Pharaoh forced him to. You say, I don't want that tenth plague. Don't force God to use it. Don't say to God, don't talk to me anymore. Don't say, I'm, I'm quitting that church, I'm quitting preaching, I'm quitting Bible, I don't want to hear it. Moses, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. Because that leaves God one option. And let me tell you something, when you corner God, you'll pay for it. That's right. And Pharaoh learned that. You say, well, how, well, what started all that? One word, pride. Pride cometh before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's why I have a word of prayer. Dear me, Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the Bible. And Lord, I ask that you would use the Bible study in people's lives that we could learn, Lord, not from our own mistakes. That's not fun. If we could learn from others' mistakes, if we could learn from Pharaoh's life, then we wouldn't have to deal with those issues. And Father, I pray you'd let this Bible study I don't know if it's needed today. Maybe something that some of us just need to put away in the back of our heads for some time. But when we find ourselves in that situation when we're at odds with God, help us to remember to keep that line open. Because as soon as we put God in a position where we refuse to let Him deal with us, He's still going to deal with us. It's just going to be bad for us. Lord, help us not to be proud. And help us not to negotiate with God. To just submit fully. To say, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.